0: Good morning, pathway. Uh, very blessed Easter to you. It's very strange to walk into church with uh, without any wand um, on the Easter Sunday morning. The road is empty, and and it's only getting a few minutes to reach arrive here. Well, the significance of uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday is very, very important and enormous. It is like water to the ocean. It is like stones to the mountains. Uh, it is like blood to the body. Without Easter, there is no Christianity. Even Newsweek magazine, which is not a, a Christian kind of magazine, it says a couple of years ago, he wrote this article and he says, the risen Christ is the center of the Christian faith. The mystery without which there would be no church, no hope of eternal life, No living Christ to encounter today. No other historical figure has ever made the claim that he was raised from the dead. It was this appearance of the resurrected Christ that lit the flame of the Christian faith. It wasn't the morality of the Sermon on the Mount which enabled Christianity to conquer Roman paganism, but it was the belief that Jesus was alive. He had been raised from the dead. So Easter is enormously important to our Christian faith. Without it, there is no Christianity at all. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a series of sermons on how what happened on this Easter week was actually prophesied by the Old Testament Prophets, and it was fulfilled at all. So it's not a, a isolated kind of incidents or isolated things that is new, but all along at the meta narrative of God, it has already been planned. It has been forecast by the prophets, and we are trying to look at this week, all the occasions from the Palm Sunday to uh, Good Friday and this, and Resurrection Sunday today. All these things happened was already predicted by the prophets, spoken by prophets and fulfilled in Christ. I look up some statistics, it shows, it says that if one person fulfilling eight prophecies, there will be one chance in 10 to the power of 17. That means one chance of a person fulfilling eight prophecies, if the chances are one to the power of 10, 17, zero. If I flip a coin and ask you head or tail you have 50% chance of getting it right. But what if I flip 10 times and you get 10 times right? What if I te- flip 100 times and 100 times you get it right? What are the chances of that? And so for a person to fulfill just eight prophecies the chances is 1 in 10 to the power of 17 0. And for a person to fulfill 48 prophecies is one chance in 10 to the power of 157 zero. That is if you fulfill 48 prophecies. One chance in 10 to the power of 157 zero. It's almost like zero. But what are the chances of a person fulfilling 300 over prophecies? I, I don't know. No one make the calculation how, how many zero you must add to it in order for it to happen. But the only person that actually happened for... To fulfill 300 over prophecies is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there are 300 over prophecies about Jesus Christ. uh, It has been fulfilled. Let me give you a few, all right? The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. We we look at it over Christmas series. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, prophesied and fulfilled. The Messiah will be born of a virgin, prophesied, fulfilled. The Messiah will be tempted by Satan, The Messiah will enter Jerusalem triumphantly. As Pastor Bruce pointed out last Sunday, on Palm Sunday, it was prophesied again in Zechariah 9 verse 9. The Messiah will be rejected by His own people, prophesied and fulfilled. The Messiah will be betrayed by one of His followers. The Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, prophesied, fulfilled. The Messiah will be tried and condemned, The Messiah will be silent before his accusers. The Messiah will be smitten and spat upon. All this was prophesied and all was fulfilled. The Messiah will be mocked and taunted. The Messiah to die by crucifixion with pierced hands and feet, prophesied, fulfilled. The Messiah will suffer with sinners. Yes, he died with two thieves. Beside him, the Messiah's garment will be divided by casting lots. Just read Psalms 22. It was prophesied and fulfilled. The Messiah's bond will not be broken, as Pastor Caroline pointed out on Good Friday. The perfect Lamb, prophesied, fulfilled. The Messiah will die as a sin offering. The Messiah will see his seat and that is those who would find salvation through his sacrifice. The Messiah will be buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. It was prophesied and fulfilled. The Messiah will be raised from the dead. And today we're going to look at the text in Psalm 16 that prophesies also about Christ's resurrection. And finally, the Messiah will sit at God's right hand, prophesies fulfilled those are just about 20 of them that i mentioned but there are 300 over prophecies about christ that was fulfilled in the old testament it was fulfilled in this holy week and there are some prophecy in the old testament pertaining to the future that has yet to be fulfilled and so all these prophecies that was prophesized and fulfilled is to tell us that beyond any doubt that jesus is truly the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ who is to come. That the identity completely fit beyond any doubt. And so I want you to turn to two texts with me if you have a Bible. We don't have a PowerPoint visual aid for you. Uh, and therefore, you have to take out your Bible, whatever version that you are reading through. Uh, there are two texts that I want to refer to. Uh, that is in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 22 onwards, as well as 1 Two verses in John Gospel that I want you to uh, uh, take a note on. That I will f- for I will preach on that as well later on. Acts chapter two and John eleven. Acts chapter two verse um, I think 22, 22 onwards. But before I read the text to you and give you some comment on that text, I want to uh, give you a larger context of. Uh, in approaching this text. Jesus died. He spent 33 years on earth. He died on the cross. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. And uh, after He rose from the dead, He spent with His disciples 40 days. Uh, And in that 40 days, He appeared to many people. and, And then He brought His disciples together. He ascended to heaven. And He asked His disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And... And Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, crucifixion day, so so they probably waited for another seven days after Christ's ascension to heaven. They waited for seven days and then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in in different languages And, and the Jewish people they were completely astonished and surprised that they were able to do that. And then they said they must have gone mad, they must be drunk. And, and Peter at this point stood up to address the crowd, to correct their wrong assessment of this situation. And he said it was 9 a.m., too early to be drinking, and much too early to be drunk. And uh, those speaking in languages were not filled with wine, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter went on to explain to these Jewish people trying to convince this group of people that Jesus is the Messiah. All these prophecies about Him has come to fulfillment in this person, Jesus Christ. So He stood up there and He spoke. So chapter 2, the whole of chapter 2 is, is along that line of Messiah has been fulfilled. The, the old time, and then He quoted the book of Job about the day that is going to, Spirit is going to come upon us. And... Uh, and it's going to usher in a new era, a new covenant where we'll be led by the Spirit and not just by obeying the law itself. And so Peter now is using the Old Testament Scripture, looking back and say, this is what it was said and this is the time it has been fulfilled. It's amazing that it was Peter who stood up and uh, and preached these messages to 3,000 other people. Uh, very courageous. Uh, you remember, just before that, a few days before, about he denied Jesus three times. He he wasn't able to stand up for Christ. Uh, he, although he promised to Jesus that he would stand by him when he was confronted, he said, Women, I don't know him." Uh, Peter had insisted to a servant girl who recognized him as a disciple. Yet now, only about maybe. Two months later, Peter was the first to shout aloud that he not only knew this man, he was a witness to all that Jesus had said and done. The Holy Spirit had breathed new courage into a once disheartened and discouraged disciple. And that led, uh, there was a this Jewish uh, scholar called Pinchas Lapide. if I pronounce? it his name correctly, a Jewish theologian, he said that if the the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith based only on auto-suggestion or self-deception without a fundamental faith experience, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. How could Peter, who denied Christ, who completely disappointed, disillusioned, suddenly turn around and became so powerful and so courageous if he did not actually have that kind of true encounter with Christ, seeing His resurrection, walk with Him for 40 days, and then receiving the Holy Spirit? These Jewish scholars simply say that that would be a greater miracle than the resurrection Itself, and so here Peter stood up, trying to convince the Jews. He was saying to the Jews, in in, in short, if you're going to miss all, all that, the scripture is going to say this is what he's basically trying to say. Remaining part of the scripture uh, in Acts chapter two, he said, "For generations you have dreamed of the day of God. You read the scripture, you heard this prophet saying this, and all that. You have dreamed of the day of God, the day when God will break into history." Now I am telling you, Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter is saying, Now I am telling you, in Jesus, the day has come. The day has dawned. It is now here and it has arrived. And then Peter goes on to present to the Jewish people, using Old Testament text to support his position that Jesus has ushered in, this new era and he begins with uh addressing to the crowd by using a book of joe joe prophesies a day but i'm going to skip that because that is not essentially my uh uh, text at the moment he but but to summarize his quotation of book of joe uh from verse 14 down to 21 he's basically saying that the age of fulfillment Prophesies in the hebrew scripture has come to pass the kingdom of god is imminent or indeed is here and then he goes on in verse 22 to talk about this part of it that talks about jesus is the messiah which he actually want to prove that is his main point he want to prove that jesus is the messiah of all these prophets has been prophesizing in the old testament he is the messiah He prophesied about his death. And then he, here in this passage, hinted, telling us that the prophecy of resurrection by David in Psalm 16 was also fulfilled. So let me just, uh, by now I hope you'll return to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It's a fellow Israelite. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through Him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of a wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Remember, Peter just spent 40 days with Jesus and then waited seven days for the Holy Spirit to arrive. So he speaks with conviction because it is his experience. It is not just... And and therefore, he preached with conviction to tell the Jewish people, this is the man, this is the prophet, this is the Messiah that you have helped to crucify him on the cross. And then... He quoted David to support his point on the resurrection. Verse 25, David said about him, in Psalm 16, all right? he said, I saw the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, Peter is quoting David, King David, who was a prophet as well as king, that he, when he was writing that, he prophesied that he, his body, not just only him, but Christ, his messianic psalms prophesizing that Christ will not see decay. And verse 29, Peter went on to say that this psalm that David is prophesizing is not about himself, even though at that point probably people think that he's, he's talking about David, but Peter went on to explain that it is not talking about himself. He's a prophetic, talking about Christ, the future Messiah. Verse 29 says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. He was buried and his tomb is here to this day. So it cannot be referring to him. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on earth that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, and Jesus of God comes from the line of the throne of David. That's why Jesus, called Son of David, is down the throne, down the line. The generation, every generation, call on until the coming of Christ. And verse 21 is a seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay. So Peter was using this psalm of David and said it's referring to Jesus. It's not referring to David himself, but he's forecasting, prophesizing that the future Messiah will not see death. His body will not go into decay. Exalted, God has raised, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Which Peter of course did witness because he spent forty days with Jesus. And I remember, after Jesus died for three days, uh, he was completely distraught and wanted to go back to fishing and he completely dejected. And after Christ resurrected appeared to them, he completely turned it around. And it has to be something that he experienced, it just cannot be be fake or, or false. And then verse 33, he goes on to say, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. See, he's explaining to the Jews, but now you see why the Holy Spirit comes and therefore we're speaking in other languages. is to signify the gospel now. is not just confined to the Jewish people, but it's to the whole world, to the Gentiles. That's why he's speaking in different languages. So that is a signifying that the gospel now has moved from the Jewish people to the Gentiles. And then and then uh, Peter went on to continue to quote another text by David to cement his position that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh this is from Psalms 110. Uh he said he went on to quote this another psalm that David penned. It said, for David did not ascend to heaven. So again, when David wrote this, it is not saying about himself, it is prophesizing about a future Messiah. He said, for David did not ascend to heaven. So this verse cannot be applying to David because David died and his tomb is here. You can, you can go and check it out in that sense, he said. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Messiah. So the Lord here is referring to the Messiah, cannot be referring to, to uh, David. Because the difficulty is to establish the Lord and my Lord. Who are this, the Lord and my Lord? And the Lord has to be the Messiah because David did not ascend to heaven, but Jesus died on the cross, ascended to heaven, right in front of the disciples' eyes, seated at the right hand of God. So here you are, the Old Testament text, talking, prophesizing even about resurrection of Jesus, that, uh, that Peter is trying to use the Old Testament scripture and tell his Jewish crowd, this is the Messiah. Please open your eyes, have a look at all the Old Testament, your scripture. The Old Testament, all the prophecy talks about, is fulfilled in Jesus. For the remaining time, what I want to do is fast forward now, or not? uh, Rather, turn backwards to uh, a couple of pages from Acts chapter two to John eleven. I cannot let Easter go by without mentioning this verse because this is the key verse jesus even prophesies about his own resurrection not just only the prophets in the old testament but jesus himself prophesies about his own resurrection and that is the famous text that when we attend funeral you see that being read uh, john 11 verse 25 to 26 jesus claims on his own resurrection remember jesus At the moment, is standing at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And he makes this astonishing claim. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then, don't forget this last bit of it that he mentioned, which is what I want to uh, uh, talk on. After he quoted this verse, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he paused for a moment, I believe. And then he said, do you believe this? He said, do you believe this? He looked into their faces. He said, do you believe this? Do you? Do you believe this? But it's interesting when I read that, that phrase, do you believe it? I was just wondering which emphasis did Jesus actually place on? Was His inflection on the word you? Do you believe in this? Or was His emphasis on the word believe? Do you believe in this? Or, Was his emphasis on the word this? Do you believe in this? So maybe we can just explore this for a little while. uh, And hopefully, and I pray that your response will be the same as that of Mary. Say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. So the first question I ask is, uh, do you believe this? So let's look at the word you. Do you believe this? Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps the Lord put the inflection on the word you in the question in order to drive home to our hearts that it is a personal thing. It is a personal faith. After all, when it comes to our saving faith in the finished work of Christ, This is what matters most. Not what my mother or my wife or my father or my pastor uh, else believes. Uh, This is a personal matter. Do you believe this? Jesus is bringing home this point. What about you? Don't, 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 Don't worry about this person or that person. What about you? Do you believe this? Well, an increasing number in our 21st century Gnostic culture Uh, captivated by documentaries, movies, and books that question the veracity of the gospel account? Uh, Is that what you really want to believe? Uh, That is, that Christ was really not the Son of God, not the Messiah, or not what He claimed that He was? Do you want to believe that His death was an unnecessary event and not a a voluntary, vicarious death for you? Or that the account of the resurrection should be relegated to some ancient shelf or of obscurity along with other myths and favours. Do you actually believe those things? And so the Easter bottom line question Jesus may be asking is, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am truly the Christ? Number two, maybe Jesus is emphasizing on the word believe. Do you believe this? Perhaps, perhaps Jesus asked this question in Bethany. He put he added inflection and emphasis on the word "believe." After all, faith is the acceptable response to the Christian gospel. He was not inquiring of his hearers as to whether they were giving intellectual accent to it. You know, oh yeah, I know this from Sunday school. I heard about this story, this, this, this. But do you believe? It's not just knowing. Do you believe this? It is one thing to know about the gospel story intellectually. Uh, it is one thing to hear about it through one avenue or another. It is one thing to try to conform ourselves to it and to a new set of beliefs that governs our worldview, that takes Scripture as a point of shape and viewing the world, evaluating the world through the lens of the Scripture, through this meta-narrative of past, present, and future. Maybe Jesus was saying, do you Believe this. Do you really believe, or is it just something that you know? You know, uh, but has no great conviction in that belief. Uh, French philosopher Pascal say, "In faith, there is enough light for those who want to believe, and also enough shadows to blind those who don't. In faith, there is enough light for those who want to believe, and enough shadows to blind." Those who don't. And the scriptures say, it's always the hardening of your heart. That you refuse to confront the uh, truth of God's word. Or one uh, evolution uh, scientist say that, it's not that I don't believe that it's God, it's that I don't want there to be a God. Uh, because if I do believe that it's God, then I have to come under His sovereign authority. So at least it's honest to say that it's not that I don't believe in God, but I don't want there to be a God. Otherwise then, I need to uh, conform to this God. Um, do you believe this? Maybe Jesus was placing the emphasis on the word belief when he spoke in Bethany. Do you believe? Not just an in intellectual knowledge, but do you really believe? And thirdly, which is my belief that Jesus placed actually the emphasis on the word this. Do you believe this? What is this? It is what He just said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Did you know that this sentence is loaded with so many things? I want to give you three things of Jesus' claims in just these two verses here. First and foremost, Jesus claims deity. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am. And remember, he's talking to Jewish people. Jewish people know the title "I am" referring to God is is spelled out in Exodus chapter three when uh, when Moses went and 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 talked to God and said, "Wow, well, who, who should I say that sent me so that I can release these people? To who 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 can I use an authority to say who sent me to ask you to release the slaves?" And God simply just said, "I am, I am, I am. No, I was, I am." He captured in attention around him. So when Jesus used this title, I am, he's claiming deity. He's claiming to be God. And if you are familiar with Scripture, you know we have been saying it over time. John Gospel, there are seven great I am's that Jesus plays. John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Or oh, Nikki Gumbel in uh, Alpha say, if he talk to an Asian, you say, I am the noodle of life. Uh, That's a staple diet. I'm the rice of life. Uh, I am the bread of life. And then in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the door. And then in John chapter 10, he said, I am the chief shepherd. Or I am the good shepherd. And then in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter 15, he said, I am the true vine. And here in our Easter text, in John chapter 11, again, Jesus used the title of God, I am the resurrection and the life. I am is the title of God. And when Jesus used that, he said, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. I am the sacrifice that will take away sins once and for all. You know, he's telling the Jews, you know. You know this sacrifice of sin that, that the Jewish people have to go to the temple Time and time again, in Hebrews chapter 10, it captured this because the author of Hebrews was trying to convince the crowd as well that the new covenant is better than the old. In chapter 10, verse 11, it said, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Familiar? In Psalms 110, we just read about. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And here, Jesus say, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And this sentence, there are second things that Jesus talks about. Not just only he claims about his deity, But He claims about destiny. Destiny. Your destiny. You see, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He claims about destiny. You will live even though you die. Death is our final enemy. But Christians need not fear because of Easter. Because Christ rose from the dead and therefore there is this guarantee of our future resurrection. Even those loved ones who has passed away, for those who believe there is a future resurrection. Death is just a comma to a Christian. It is not a period. It is not a full stop. Someone said, The day which we fear as our last is but the birthday of eternity. The day which we fear as our last is but the birthday of eternity. Death, for the Christian, is the beginning of life. Life is a journey, a journey to eternity, and death is the vehicle that takes us home. Or John Oxenbaum, uh English poet, say, For death begins with life's first breath, and life begins at the touch of death. So here Jesus spells out our destiny. You will live even though you die. Because I have risen under resurrection and alive. Because I have risen, those who believe in me will also rise in the future. Elie Beck said, there is a kind of life that leads to death. And there is a kind of death that leads to life. What kinds of death that leads to life? For those who believe in Jesus, who are here on earth, when you die, that will lead to life. And so this is Jesus' second claim in this sentence, I am the resurrection and the life. He claims deity, that He is God, He is the Messiah. And then He went on to say, He who believes in me will live even though he dies. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book called Mere Christianity, uh, he says this. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And then he said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Even though you die, you will live. Even though you die, you will live. Jesus not just only claims about His deity, but the destinies, our destinies as well. And finally... When he said, Do you believe this? He not just, He says, He claims about deliverance. And then he adds on by saying this. He said, Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He said, Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am God? I'm the de- claim to do. De- do you believe your destiny that I can charge for you? Do you believe in this deliverance that whoever lives, that now you're living, you believe in me, you will never die? Physically, you may die, but you will never die. And Jesus is making it very plain here. Eternal salvation is through faith in Him alone and not through human efforts or good works. He says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Eternal life can be ours in this life now and through faith in Him alone. There are plenty of verses that tell us that that He can deliver us from this bondage of the fear of death. John chapter 1, verse 12. Let me read to you a few. Yet to all who receive Him, to all who believe in Him, He gave the right to become children of God. John 20, verse 31. But this have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And the most famous verse in the Bible, in the New Testament at least, uh, John 3, verse 16 to 18, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned, because he does not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. Here Jesus is saying, you can be delivered from this fear of your ultimate enemy, life. A couple of, uh, I think, eight days ago, um, I watched a documentary of Martin Luther King Jr. It was on TV, um, and uh, it was the anniversary, fourth of April. He died fourth of April. Um, he died before I was born, just a day before I was born, and uh, and there was a quote uh, by him that says. Uh, because he was under attack and all that, he said, unless you are liberated from the fear of death, uh, you don't live in freedom. Uh, You don't live freely, confidently, unless you have been liberated from the fear of death. So Jesus is saying, do you believe this? This? That I am the resurrection? I am deity? I am God? That whoever believes in me will live even though he dies your destiny and then he say whoever lives and believes in me he will never die you'll be delivered from this constant nagging fear of your ultimate end here on life well do you believe this jesus says there are three ways you can think about it you can believe that he was divine you can really believe what jesus says or you can think that he is being deceptive, that is Jesus was a sort of con artist as portrayed in some modern movies and blasphemous books. Uh, was he simply deceiving people by claiming to be the resurrection and the life? Or you can you can believe that he's a deceiver, or you can believe that he's is divine, or you can also believe that he's demented. Maybe it's some kind of a first century David Chorus. Uh, or in uh, C.S. Lewis, say he's either his Lord, he's lunatic, or he's a liar. He those are the only three options that you you really have. Either he's Lord, he's who he said he is, or he's just crazy, or he's just outright deceiving. But when you actually investigate his life and all that, those two doesn't add up to it. And he has to be the Lord. Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Reason for God. Believe in an age of skepticism. And he says this, he said, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what He said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like His teaching, but whether or not He rose from the dead. Because if He really, really did rise from the dead, then everything that he said is true. So that is the crucial issue. And therefore, Jesus is saying, that, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I pray, as I close, I pray that your response will be exactly what Mary did. He said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. In verse 27. I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who was to come into this world. May this uh, Easter uh, be a day that you will respond to that and believing and acknowledging that Jesus and therefore you will never fear death because Christ has risen and we will have a future resurrection as well. Thank you, Lord. Dear Lord, your death is the death of death. And your resurrection is the resurrection of all things. You died for our sins, and you have been raised for our justification. Thank you, Lord. Oh, the wonder, the marvel and gratitude that fills our hearts today. We are forgiven, we are beloved, we are yours, we live confidently, we have no fear. And in light of this living hope and compelling love, this measureless grace and eternal inheritance, free us, Lord, for spending the rest of our days living and loving to your glory. Thank you, I pray. I pray, Lord, Jesus, that someone today will bow their heads and give their heart to Jesus, surrender their lives to Jesus. And for those of us who have been in church for many, many years, I may today be the day that truly we rededicate our lives once again and say, truly, you are God. You are truly the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Resurrection. The life. Thank you, Lord. May the loving power of God, which raised Jesus to new life, strengthen you in hope, enrich you with His love, and fill you with joy in the faith. Amen.